Amen. Well, it's good to have everybody here this morning, and I just want to welcome you and uh, enjoyed our worship time and our, our worship team and the band and all that. They did an awesome job. And uh, we're, we're going to take a moment and interview and spend some time with this pastor. Uh, this is Pastor Chris Nafis and his beautiful wife, Rachel, and the kids. Rachel, would you stand for a moment? She she has this beautiful baby with her, and uh, and uh, I met her not long ago, and she was expecting, and here, here, here he is. So we're so glad to have this family with us. But um, we are going to uh, talk about... Uh, Pastor Chris's his ministry, his church called Living Water. And, and you might say, well, why are we doing this? And, you know, what part do we play? Well, uh, we as a church decided as a congregation, we had a we kind of had a survey and we, we gather around tables and we all participated and thinking about well, what is our purpose? What is our mission? And out of that came seek, serve and reach. And so we have those three words, seek, serve and reach. And what good is it if we have a mission or a phrase or these words if we do not understand the functionality of those words? In other words, how does this work out into the life of our church? How do we function in ministry and fulfilling the mission we feel that God has called us to that you participated in helping us design? So the word is serve, and we've said we want to serve our community. Uh, and, and so we began to kind of, you know, process through that. How, how can we do that? One way we decided that we want to to help uh, in the area of serve is we decided to have um, this talent basin ministry. And part of the talent basin ministry, there's really five ministries that fall under that. But a part of this talent basin ministry is that we designate two Sundays a year that we are. Um, putting our effort out to help people, to serve our fellow man. And the first Sunday, remember Jeff was in uh, January with uh, Freedom Sunday. Freedom Sunday, Beat for Ashes, and we had Dr. Gates a part of that, and we really got behind them and, and uh, kind of celebrated that, that Freedom Sunday, and learned, and we had, well, we had a special guest speaker that had come out of the life of human trafficking. I mean, it was an emotional time. So that was our first Sunday. So today is our Talon Basin Sunday. It's our second Sunday. And so we've chose to highlight living water, adopt living water, and to help living water. And so this is Pastor Chris. Uh, tell us about uh, how did living water come about, or you are the founding pastor. I learned that last, last hour. You are the founding pastor. How long have you been there? When did you start? So Living Water is born out of uh, Southeast Church of the Nazarene is our mother church, and we're born out of some homeless outreach ministries that were uh, done for almost 20 years by Mid-City Church of the Nazarene with some help from uh, Mission Church. We had some folks from Mission Church that were always a part of that ministry from Point Loma Nazarene University, and I was a part of that ministry for uh, five or six of those years during my time at Southeast. And about two years ago, uh, we planted a new church down in East Village, which is downtown San Diego. Uh, not far from Petco Park, if you're familiar with downtown at all. Uh, really in the heart of homelessness. So um, if you look at the stats, they do a count every month or so. Um, at the last, the last stats I saw, within about a mile radius of our church, there's 800 or so people living, living on the streets. There's two major shelters in the area. There's another shelter on the other side of downtown. And so uh, really in this major homelessness crisis that San Diego has, I think there's over 10,000 people living on the streets in, in San Diego. 
um, we're at the heart of that. And so we're born out of those ministries. And about two years ago, really about three years ago, we put together a team and began praying and thinking about this sense of calling that we had to plant a church and uh, prayed through it. And two years ago, Easter, we uh, had our first worship service and we've been going since. Amen. So um, I am personally very, very happy to have Chris uh, with us today. He's a, a really good friend of mine in the last two years. We've been meeting up regularly um, at, at sometimes weekly to just talk about ministry, and I consider him a mentor. And um, so I'm just really grateful that Mission Church has decided to partner with um, Living Water Church, the Nazarene. Um, but I, out of our conversations, I know sometimes you, you, uh, you have said that a lot of people just don't really know what uh, Living Water is. Is it like an organization? Is it a church? Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit of what, what Living Water is, what's the purpose, and what is a, maybe <laughs> what does a church service look like? Okay, yeah, we're, um, well, we're a church, and so uh, for us, you know, we're trying to live the life that the church is called to live in, in, in our specific context, and uh, we've, uh, we've desi- you know, we're trying to call disciples to live lives of discipleship and to bring people deeper into a life with Christ, and for us that looks like uh, worship, is one of our emphases, service is another of our emphases, and uh, community formation. And so we're trying to sort of draw people into those things. We believe if people engage in worship, engage in service, engage in the community, that they'll find themselves drawn deeper into a, a life of discipleship with Christ. And it just looks a little different than uh, maybe your typical church in our specific context because we have people struggling through so many different things. Uh, on a given Sunday, I never count or anything, but about half of our folks on any given Sunday are coming from the streets or from a shelter or from some sort of transitional facility. And about half are uh, folks that are young professionals or, you know, living their life, but in homes somewhere and just sort of not struggling with all of those things necessarily, although often struggling with other things. And we're trying to learn how to do life together, how to love each other well, how to follow our callings together instead of apart and in a divided community, which is East Village, which is where we are, where it's uh, the most expensive place to rent in San Diego, but it's also the heart of homelessness in San Diego. Our, our goal is to be um, a place where those, those gaps are bridged by, um, by Christ and where wow. we can find ourselves in community together um, under the Lordship of Christ. And so we have uh, we have pretty robust worship services. You asked about our services. We uh, we spend a lot of time praying together. We we have a long prayer request time, and then we pray over those things that get requested. We read scriptures together. We sing. Uh, we have a sermon. We take communion every week, and then we eat uh, eat dinner together after service every week. And we see that as an extension of communion, a family meal, and it's usually just cooked at home by one of our congregants and brought in. And um, and we find ourselves sort of loving each other more deeply. And, you know, we come in from these different places of hurt and isolation and loneliness, and then by the end we're sort of in this festive meal together. And it's, it's really beautiful to see. Amen. That, that is very encouraging. We, we were in the book of Nehemiah last Sunday, and, and there's a, a section there that talks about what a church, what it looks like when we're having church. It sounds like you're having church and ministering and loving people. And this question's loaded, and I don't know if it's, you know, maybe... That I should ask, but uh, because everything that you're doing and, and the way you're touching people's lives is very significant. It sounds like everything is so significant. But in your heart, what would be the most significant piece, do you think, in that ministry there at Living Water? Yeah, I'm, 
It's a hard question to ask. What's the most significant thing in the life of the church? I imagine, you know, what's the most significant thing in the life of Mission Church? It'd be hard. A hard thing to yeah. answer. But yeah. there's a lot. I think the thing that's maybe most uniquely significant about what we're doing is that we have um, such a range of people that are struggling with all different sorts of things, and I think these things that um, that come into people's lives and and people on the streets especially are, are usually struggling with several, you know, major intractable issues that would be difficult for anyone to go through. And then, you know, these things sort of spiral and you end up on the streets and then you just think, how am I going to get away from these, you know, whether it's like fleeing domestic violence or a mental health issue or a physical health issue that you can't pay for and it's caused you to lose your job or addiction or, um, you know, whatever. There's all these issues that are, that are so significant. And, I think these issues tend to pull us away from each other, and I think that sort of sin and evil in this world and suffering isolate us from one another. And um, I think what we're doing is calling people back together and providing a home for people to find uh, a communal life in Christ that, uh, that sort of rejects the way the world would divide us and calls us back into this life together. And Amen. so I would say that's the most significant thing. When we meet at the communion table every week, we are meeting together as brothers and sisters who are eating together, and people know that they're known by name. They know that they're loved, that they're welcome here. And we have people who wouldn't feel comfortable walking in really into any facility that's, you know, or uh, let alone a church, um, that feel right. right at home with us. So. So um, when we started thinking about how we are going to be serving our community and, you know, a lot of um, a lot of us here at Mission Church really feels passionately about the uh, the homeless um, here in our city. Um, and we were thinking, OK, well, we don't even know where to start. How do we even how do we even start serving that community? Um, so we look to to living water just in Nazarene just because you guys are, you know, uh, way ahead of us in, in relating to them, and you're right there at the epi- epicenter. So, um, and, and by the way, out of this, we're hoping to create a group that um, really partners with the Living Water Church of the Nazarene. Um, so if, you, if this is something that you are feeling, that you're passionate about, that you want to be a part of, there is a table out in the, in the um, courtyard area, and you want to sign up, just put your name down, your email, and then we'll be sending you information about how you can get involved whenever they need uh, you know, volunteers, whenever, whenever they need some, some people for a, a different project. So I guess my question is, how has Mission Church unofficially been already helping um, how have we already been part of uh, what's going on in Living Water? And then maybe also what are some, some of the things that you kind of are looking forward to um, in the future of uh, Living Water Church? Yeah, I mean, really, Mission's been involved since the very beginning with us. Even before our church, um, I was talking to Steve Gilbert between services, and he was there every Tuesday for a long time on our Tuesday night ministry, which is where we're birthed out of. Um, the Crow kids were part of that ministry for many years. I specify the kids because in the first service I just said the Crows, and they were thinking, probably were thinking of our parents, but uh, the Crow kids were part of that service for a long time. Um, and then... All along the way, I mean, from meeting with you, Jeff, uh, which is those meetings have been significant in helping me sort of pray through and think through, you know, what we're doing as a church as well. Um, and having uh, mission folks that have come down and helped us. We, we recently moved to a new facility in October. There's a picture of it right there. And um, or I guess that way for you guys. Uh, <laughs> mission sent a huge team out to come and help us uh, build this place out. They helped support us financially in the build out. We had a big empty concrete box basically that we needed to make usable for church services and for 
other things. And so that's them building a children's classroom there. And uh, Mission showed up and helped us do that. Uh, Mission, uh, this last Thanksgiving, we served, uh, I think, somewhere between 350 and 400 people uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And Mission provided probably two-thirds of the food and volunteers, just sort of people cooking the hams and turkeys in their own homes and bringing it out. Um, We have a paraclete program where we put... Um, paraclete is the word Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit, uh, and it's a word that means advocate, it means friend, it means encourager, it means helper, it uh, means uh, some other things also. And, and we're putting teams of paracletes around someone who's looking for housing, uh, three or four people that can sort of help, you know, with logistical things or, you know, spiritual, emotional support, praying through things. And mission is, uh, I'd say... A third to half of our volunteers come from Mission. In fact, Wanda Gailey was one of the women who found a family of five, a place to stay uh, back when we first started the program. And there's a family of five that has a, has a home now because she was on the task. And so Mission's been involved really, really throughout the time. That's exciting. Um, let me ask you as far as uh, stories, because, you know, story makes things so relevant. And sometimes it, it connects with our emotions and our heart. So what's a little story about somebody, a life that's been impacted by living water ministry real quick? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell a different story than I told this morning. Um, I'm not going to mention this woman's name because it's kind of a personal story. But uh, we have a woman in our church who's been sort of hanging around the church for a long time. And she's recently just really been digging in deep to the life of the church, uh, really wants to become a member of the church. And we're working on getting her through some classes, those sorts of things. Um, she uh, she recently finally shared part of her journey with us, which is that uh, many years ago she had a 15-year-old daughter who got pregnant, had a child, lost the child, and then took her own life and oh. broke this woman. Oh. And uh, she struggled with addiction and homelessness, and, you know, you can see how you experience something like that, and things just oh. spiral out of control. And, uh, you know, so many of the women in particular – that we've encountered on the streets have lost children in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, you just, you see people on the street and you don't know their stories. Um, and then when you find the stories, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. Um, and so, but this woman has, has found a, a home with us. She's been on the streets for many years. I, I don't know exactly how many, I guess 10 to 15 years. And, um, you know, she's found a community. She finds when she walks into our door, she's greeted with, Smiles and warmth and hugs and people know her name and uh, excuse me we pray for her you know weekly she asks for prayer for her extended family that are all over the country and um, she's she's got place to serve she helps serve our meals she kind of works as a as a greeter she likes to hand out our bulletins and you know she is like fully a part of the life of our church she's you know she's one of our core people in the in the church really and um, you know she's had this very difficult life and our church is full of people like her every story is so unique it's hard to sort of lump them all together um, but we're we're sort of a gathering of, of people like her um, that have found and, and you know she's been a person of faith for her whole life you know she's struggled with different things but you know she's dedicated to Christ and she's she's putting her whole life into the church and um, and we're trying to sort of put our whole life into her also <laughs> Amen. Speaking of that, Chris, I want to have you stand and join me here in the center. Pastor Jeff, um, you have you have been pouring your life out. And I I I remember um, being those late 20s, early 30s. And and we give and give and give. And sometimes 
there's no one there to fill our cup, no one to fill us back up again. And you've been given so much, and I know, I know what that feels like. And so as a, a congregation, we just want to pour into you. We want to fill your cup. And, and the way we're going to do that, I want to bring the, the, this beautiful wife. Maybe Angela, would you escort them up here? And these beautiful children. And uh, we're going to come up here on the stage, guys. And we have something for you. Come on up here. We've got something for you. All right. Okay. And Pastor Jeff is going to come and communicate to you how we want to fill your cup. Right, so they are, like Pastor said, always pouring, always giving, and we just want to let you know how much we appreciate what you're doing, um, and, and you've been a blessing to my life, um, and I know that you have been a blessing to so many other lives and will continue to be, and um, I know it's not easy to have such a, a you know, have, have a family and, and do what you do, so we just want to... Um, we just want to encourage you, and we actually talked to Justina, and we had, we, she told us a little bit about what's going on in your life, and obviously you have a, a newborn, so we thought of some ways that we'd be able to bless you in that way. So um, the first thing is that um, we have a check for some diapers, because I know you're going to be needing some of those. Um, and then we also have a... Uh, mini vacation, a, ch- uh, a couple hundred dollars for a uh, mini vacation for you guys to take and kind of take, uh, take a break from everything and just be together as a family. So um, I hope that you can enjoy that. And then also a few of our people have volunteered to babysit for you. So you guys can go out and have a good time, maybe go on a date night. Um, so there's a few vouchers and we still need volunteers. Um, so if you want to you wanna volunteer to babysit, again, um, talk to me. We're going to be at the table outside in the courtyard. But these are for you and just to let you know how much we appreciate yeah. you and how um, blessed we are with you. So the baby got diapers, right? So the boys need something. They got some stuff in the first service. Now we're going to wrap it up here with the boys here. Go ahead and open it. There you go. <laughs> So they got some baseball gloves and balls in the first, the first service. It's like Christmas. Woo! <laughs> All right. Okay. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to invite you. Just give this family a hand. Thank them for their work, their ministry, Living Water Church of the Nazarene. We're behind you, brother. You know that. God bless you. Amen. See you, boys. Amen. Don't open that till after service, okay? And we're going to John uh, chapter 13 today, which probably is the perfect passage for us this morning. As we are saying, claiming that this is one of two Talon Basin Sundays that, that uh, we've designated in which we are able to reach out and, and minister and serve others. And so we're going to, to the very, you know, the very greatest example, the best example. And that's in John chapter 13, looking at verses 1 through 5, where Jesus kneels and he serves, serves his own disciples. But before we do this, before we begin, I want to invite us to read this statement. Um, our statement of intention and spirit and attitude in which we come to the table and open the word of God. So read this out loud with me this morning. I'm about to study the incorruptible, inerrant word of God. I open my heart to God's message. 
I humble my mind to his wisdom and I rest my hopes on his grace. I'll accept its rebukes with repentance. I will rejoice in its truth by faith and trust in its promises that can never fail. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change. As I trust in his grace and spirit, I covenant with God that I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to grow, I'm ready to change and hide his word in my heart to honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So if you have the word, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 13 and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And it's interesting that we find the story that we read of Jesus um, is it's, it's the only place that we find it recorded there in the fourth gospel of John, which is interesting because, I mean, John has such a high Christology of who Christ is. And, and of course, that this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And so he lifts up the, the, the high divinity of Christ and, and sets the very highest standard. And it's interesting that the one that sets that very highest standard is the same one that gives us the most humble and simply lowly acts that we see in the life of Christ, which is Jesus as he's kneeling and beginning to wash the disciples' feet. It begins like this, looking at verse 1, and we're going to break it up in pieces. It begins like this. It, it was just before Passover festival, which really tells us that they're moving towards a spiritual culmination in culture and history, remembering God's protecting mercy and the forgiveness of a Father in heaven that not only created us, but God who's given us a plan and, and has shown us forgiveness and, and a God that is the God that was, was in charge of, of, of all, everything that happened in the life of his people, of course, called the Israelites. And, and it's not a surprise as we read the passage that love is the key term that we find in these chapters. In fact, in chapters 13 through 17, five chapters, the term love is used 31 times. And in the rest of verse 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mean, think about that. So he loved them, so he's showing them, and then he loves them. He loves them to the end. And what we have here is really an introduction or a precursor to what he, he is about to do, which is the, the illustration or to illustrate the full extent of that love. The full extent of the love. And we see that again and again in Scripture. I mean, in fact, we remember the Apostle Paul as he greets the congregation, as he writes to the congregation. He greets them over and over with grace and peace that really offers mercy and the forgiveness of a loving Father in heaven. Which, which really says that this grace is available. That God is a gracious God. And that in the graciousness of our Father, there is also a Father that is full of truth. Amen. And peace. So he greets them with grace and peace. But it's not just grace and peace, but it is truth that he greets them with because it is in truth that we find peace in life. Amen. So peace comes as a result of truth spoken, truth that is embraced. And that's how Paul communicates, which gives us really the full extent of the love of Christ. Now, bear with me more technical, a little bit more technical. We 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 go to the Greek language and and. To use the phrase full extent in the Greek, it is it is ice telos or E-I-S, ice telos. And the ice part of the Greek is is meaning to have 
reached a point. It's meaning that we, we have entered into this place that is the ice and then the telos. One source defines as the turning point. It is the hinge point where there is this culmination on which one stage ends and another stage begins. So it's the full extent of that love, which is later it's the goal of that extension of that love. It is moving from this stage to this stage. It is not like a better stage. It is not a higher stage, but it is a different stage. In fact, I, I think of the telos of marriage. I mean, in marriage, you're not married and then there is a ceremony and then you are married. So it's not one is better than the other or one is sinful and one is not. It is a new stage. And so we look at this telos. It means that we are moving into this new stage in the love that we have and experiencing the love that we have that is in Christ. Now, again, bear with me. Because as we experience the full extent of his love, it means then that, that there is this stage that ends or there is the stage that causes a turnaround and we are turning from what we would look in the word here as the, the, the flesh or the carnal nature. So we're turning from the carnal nature. We are turning away from self and we're turning towards Christ. Amen. This is the essence of the gospel. And when the essence of the gospel is fully reached, the very extension, the full extent of that gospel is the capacity that we have in loving others, church. Amen. It is that extension of loving others as we expend the full extent of that, that love that Christ has for us. Now, for Jesus, for Jesus, he does this in two ways. One, he loves them now. That's what we're reading here in the passage. He loves them now that is in the present is the love of Christ. But then, of course, we see that he loves them at the end of their life. And, of course, you know, this is the, this is the greatest of all loves when he lays down his life for another. And no greater love does the man or woman have than this than when they lay down their life for another. Now, look at verse two. Bear with me. Go to verse two. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was turning, returning to God. So he got up from the mill. Now, imagine this. Bear with me. Imagine this. He gets up from the mill and he took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. And after that, of course, he pours water into the basin. Then we know he begins to wash the feet. And there is the towel that is around his waist that he uses to dry the feet of his disciples. And I'm just trying to imagine in my mind's eye, if we're looking at and we're thinking about the full extent of the love of Christ, what it must have been like in that room and and what it must have felt like to be be present in that room with the disciples. And I can imagine there was some maybe some anxiety or maybe there was some kind of, you know, electric feeling in the air because now Jesus was speaking and we don't have everything that he says, but I can imagine that Jesus is talking to his disciples and as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he, he moves to the counter there or wherever it is and he picks up the pitcher of water in the basin or, or the ceramic clay pot and he, he kneels down with the bowl and the pitcher and he, he begins, as he's looking at the disciples in their eyes, he begins to pour the water and I can imagine the water pouring into that clay or that ceramic bowl and I imagine the water and the sound that it was making and then the cloth that he plunges into the water and as he wrings that cloth out and the water's dripping back into the bowl there and then he begins to wipe the feet and the dust begins to roll off and there's the cleansing of the feet and I'm imagining the full extent of the love of Christ as he is washing their feet in that act of humility, 
I imagine the full extent of the love of Christ as he's washing feet and in the very shadow of the cross. The full extent of Jesus Christ and his love as he's pouring himself out upon those disciples in kneeling and, and washing. And the full extent of his kneeling down as he's serving others. It's interesting that John so highly emphasizes the context of the Passover as Jesus is sharing the full extent of his love. It's interesting that it's in the, the light of the Passover that we remember, of course, the, the spirit of death that passes over the, the Israelite families. And, and there is that remembrance of that Passover. And yet here is Jesus that is preparing for his Passover from this life and into a life with his father in heaven where he sits at the right hand. It's interesting that in that Passover of Christ moving from this life to the life with the Father, that there is that experience that we have in the very atonement of Christ, that Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross and he gives his life for Christ. And then there is this passing over from this life, people, into a life that is everlasting, a life that is eternal, that is in Jesus Christ when we meet Christ as our Savior. Jesus gives us this example that communicates all of this in the full extent of his love. As he shares his love with his disciples. I, I, I love the illustration of, of, of the, the, the telescope, the, the monocular old pirate telescope. It, you remember it, it extends out in stages like click, click, click. And you see the full extent of his love is like that. It's at the very furthest of its stage. It's most effective that we realize the full capacity of Christ's love in us is when we love others. Rodney A. Whitaker, he, he writes this. He points out that in the foot washing, he says, we have an acted. Listen to this. He says, we have an acted parable. I like that phraseology this morning. We have an acted parable of the Lord's humiliation unto death of the Lord's humiliation unto death. And, and, and then we, we see Jesus doing what it is that he does. And he lives out that love. By the action that he commits when he's washing the disciples' feet. You see, I believe it's because he's trying to show us that action changes things. Action changes things. I, I uh, was uh, blessed reading the story of a pastor who was a columnist of a, a newspaper. He had a column in the newspaper and, and he also was a full-time pastor and he was contacted. He changed the names for the story, but he, he was contacted by a wife who uh, was livid with her husband. I mean, she, she was hating life, she was hating the world, and she was hating her husband. In fact, she met with the pastor and she says, Pastor, I, 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 I need some help because I know I, I'm just hating my husband. And he says, well, tell me some more about how you feel. And she says, well, I just can't stand him. I've been living with him for, you know, for so many years. And, and I, I'm just livid with him and I can't stand him. And in fact, I'm embarrassed because I not only want to divorce him, but I want to get even. I, I want to hurt him. And, and he thought maybe that she was joking in the beginning, but she was very serious. And so he's thinking, he's listening. The pastor says, I have an idea. Now, it might be hard to do, might be hard to carry out, but I have an idea and I want to share it with you because if you really want to get even, this is one way you can really pull the rug out from under him. Here's the plan. She says, what what can I do? Here's the plan. I want you to go home for three months and I want you to be nice to your husband. I want you to be kind to your husband. I want you to say kind things to him and do kind things for him. I want you to wait on him. I want you to serve him. I want you to act like that you really love your husband. 
And then after three months, you can show up at home and say, honey, I have something to tell you. I want to divorce you and walk out and you can drop the bombshell and that'll really pull the rug out and you'll get in. She said, you know, that sounds crazy, but that's ingenious. I'm going to do exactly that. And so this woman that hated her husband, wanting to give in, she went home. And so the pastor waited. Well, three months passed and she didn't hear one word from her husband. And uh, so he called her and he said, ma'am. Uh, what's going on? How's it been going? Are you ready to divorce your husband and pull the rug out from under him? Are you ready for that? And she says, divorce him. Are you crazy? I've decided that I love my husband. My lo- husband loves me. <laughs> you see why? The reason why is because action changes things. Our action changes our emotions. Amen. And when our, our, our emotions are changed, it changes our perspective. And when our perspective changes, hallelujah, it begins to change our world. Amen. Why? Because action changes things. And what Jesus was showing us this morning in this passage is he is showing us how we are to act as believers and how we are to act as Christians because our actions Changes things. Now, this morning, we took a moment to, to highlight Living Water and this pastor and, and the actions that they've committed to in serving the kingdom. And I, I, I'm wondering, you know, for us, what is it that the Lord has been speaking to us about? I, I mean, how, how can we really impact our world for Christ in a lasting way? I want to share a story with you This a few minutes I have left. Carl was a quiet man. Think of that. Carl was a quiet man. He didn't talk much. He would always greet you with a big smile and a firm handshake. Even after living in our neighborhood for over 50 years, no one could really say they knew him very well. Before his retirement, he took the bus to work each morning. The lone sight of him walking down the street worried us. He had a slight limp from a bullet wound received in World War II. Watching him, he worried that although he had survived the war, he may not make it through our changing uptown neighborhood with its ever-increasing random violence, gangs, and drug activity. When he saw the flyer at our church asking for volunteers for caring for the gardens behind the minister's residence, he responded in his characteristically unassuming manner. Without fanfare, he just signed up. He was well into his 87th year when the very thing we had always feared finally happened. He was just finishing his watering for the day when three gang members approached him. Ignoring their attempt to intimidate him, he simply asked, Would you like a drink from the hose? The tallest and toughest looking of the three said, Yeah, sure, with a malevolent little smile. As Carl offered the hose to him, the other two grabbed Carl's arm. Throwing him down. As the hose snaked crazily over the ground, dousing everything in its way, Carl's assailant stole his retirement watch and his wallet and then fled. Carl tried to get himself up, but he had been thrown down on his bad leg. He lay there trying to gather himself as the minister came running to help him. Although the minister had witnessed the attack from his window, he couldn't get there fast enough to stop it. Carl, are you okay? Are you hurt? The minister kept asking as he helped Carl to his feet. Carl just passed a hand over his brow and sighed, shaking his head. Just some punk kids. I hope they'll wise up someday. His wet clothes clung to his slight frame as he bent to pick up the hose. He adjusted the nozzle again and just started watering. Confused and a little concerned, the minister asked, Carl, what are you doing? I've got to finish my watering. It's been very dry lately, came the calm reply. 
Satisfying himself that Carl really was all right, the minister could only marvel. Carl was a man from a different time and place. A few weeks later, the three returned. Just as before, their threat was unchallenged. Carl again offered them a drink from his hose. This time they didn't rob him. They wrenched the hose from his hand and drenched him head to toe in the icy water. And when they had finished their humiliation of him, they sauntered off down the street, throwing catcalls and curses, falling over one another, laughing at the hilarity of what they had just done to him. Carl just watched him. Then he turned toward the warmth giving sun, picked up his hose and went on with his watering. The summer was quickly fading into fall. Carl was doing some tilling when he was startled by the sudden approach of someone behind him. He stumbled and fell kind of into the evergreen branches nearby. And as he struggled to regain his footing, he turned to see the tall leader of his summer tormentors reaching down for him. He braced himself for an expected attack. Don't worry, old man. I'm not going to hurt you this time. The young man spoke softly. Still offering the tattooed and scarred hand to Carl, he helped Carl up and the man pulled a crumpled bag from his pocket and handed it to Carl. What's this, said Carl. It's your stuff, the man explained. It's your stuff back, even the money in your wallet. I, I don't understand, Carl said. Why would you help me now? The man shifted his feet, seeming embarrassed and ill at ease. I learned something from you, he said. I ran with that gang and hurt people like you. We, we picked you because you were old and we knew we could do it. But every time we came and did something to you, instead of yelling and fighting back, you tried to give us a drink. You didn't hate us for hating you. You kept showing love against our hate. He stopped for a moment. I couldn't sleep after we stole your stuff, so here it is, back. He paused for another awkward moment, not knowing what more there was to say. The beg's my way of saying thanks for straightening me out, I guess. And with that, he walked off down the street. Carl looked down at the sack in his hands and gingerly opened it. He took out his retirement watch and put it back on his wrist. Opening his wallet, he checked for his wedding photo. He gazed for a moment at the young bride that still smiled back at him from all those years ago. He died one cold day after Christmas that winter. Many people attended his funeral in spite of the weather. In particular, the minister noticed a tall young man that he didn't know, sitting quietly in the distant corner of the church. The minister spoke of Carl's garden as a lesson in life. In a voice made thick with, 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 with tears, he said, Do your best and make your garden as beautiful as you can. We'll never forget Carl and his garden. The following spring, another flyer went up. It read, Person needed to care for Carl's garden. The flyer went unnoticed by the busy parishioners until one day when a knock was heard on the minister's office door. Opening the door, the minister saw a pair of scarred and tattooed hands holding the flyer. I believe this is my job, if you'll have me, the young man said. The minister recognized him as a young, the same young man who had returned the stolen watch and wallet to Carl. He knew that Carl's kindness had turned this man's life around. As the minister handed him the keys to the garden shed... He said, yes, go take care of Carl's garden and honor him. The man went to work, and over the next several years, he tended the flowers and vegetables just as Carl had done. In that time, he went to college, got married, became a prominent member of the community, but he never forgot his promise to Carl's memory and kept the garden as beautiful as he thought Carl would have kept it. One day, he approached the new minister and told him that he couldn't care for the garden any longer. He explained with a shy and happy smile 
My wife just had a baby boy last night, and she's bringing him home on Saturday. Well, congratulations, said the minister, as he handed the, the garden shed keys. That's wonderful. What's the baby's name? Carl, he replied. That's the whole gospel message today, to be Carl, to be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, to put into action what it is that we say that we are claiming to be as Christians. Amen. I want to invite our congregation to be mobilized. I mean, we're, we're processing through this. We're trying to understand the mission that we say that we, we believe in. But I, I want to invite us to be mobilized, not only in, in seeking and, and serving our kingdom, but to be mobilized to help put into action what it is that we say we are. We can do this as we partner with Living Water Church of the Nazarene. In fact, we're going to have the ushers come. Ushers, won't you stand and come forward? We're going to take an offering for them and invite you to dig deep as we, we contribute this offering. We give this offering to the Living Water Ministry. We want to bless, we want to bless uh, Pastor Chris and his wife and help them by contributing to their church. So if the Lord is leading you right now and God has been speaking to you, give. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the amount is. If, if, you, uh, if you need to write a check, write it out to Mission Church of the Nazarene and put on the bottom left corner, uh, Living Water Church, and we'll make sure it gets put together and he, they receive all that money. So let's, let's ask God to help us to be Carl's, to help us to put into action what God has called us to be for his glory. Amen. Let's bow and pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you for your goodness and your presence. And Lord, the holy responsibility that we have. Lord, to be, the, to be Carl to the people around us. To be Christian, really, Father. To be Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you just bless Living Water Ministry. I pray, Lord, that as, as people step up and they serve or volunteer, that, Lord, that you'll be glorified in it. Lord, no accolades, no recognition, just for the glory of your kingdom, Father. We give this to you. We thank you, Father, for hearing our voice. Thank you for answering this prayer. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.